Okay, I've got a little warm-up quiz for you today. I wonder if you could tell me who the people are that you'll find appearing on your screen just at the moment. There's six of them there. I know they're all men. Uh, not so much who they are, but what do they have in common? I'll tell you who they are. We've got uh, a photo there of Angus Houston, who was uh, Defence Force Chief. Guy Cooper, who was at one stage the head charang at the Taronga Zoo. David Koch, the... Um, media personality, Steve Waugh, known as the captain of the Australian cricket team for a season or two or five or however many, Kamal, well-known uh, performer, and Prime Minister John Howard. What do all of them have in common? Now, there's some really obvious answers. You could say, well, they've all got a nose or two eyes or two arms. You know, there's some obvious physical similarities, but... I don't know whether you're aware of this or not. Each of them have had the unique privilege of being named Australian Father of the Year. Now, I'm not sure whether my children have realised that this award actually is available and you can nominate people for it because up to this point, they seem to have overlooked the possibility of nominating me. Maybe it's slipped their minds or maybe they've misplaced the nomination forms or something like that, I don't know. Maybe they've considered it... Uh, it would be unfair on the opposition if they did that, so perhaps that's what the deal is. Would I be flattered if, if my children nominated me as Father of the Year? Probably. Would I enjoy the attention that it would generate? Possibly not. But the reality is, in my role as a father, it's actually not the world that I seek to impress. One of the things I've got to be really honest about is, you know, no one knows me in the community much. I, you know, move around a few circles, but I'm not out there to impress people there. Impressing my wife has its benefits. It's nice when, when uh, uh, she gives me some feedback or whatever, but it's not her that I should be seeking to impress either, nor should it be my children that I seek to impress, but God. It's God who should be the one able to look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servants. In my role as a father to my children, as a grandfather now to a couple of children, as a husband, as an uncle, as a man, as a leader in the church, my role is not to impress other people and make them think well of me, though I will work to protect my reputation and God's reputation. My role is actually to impress God. Ultimately, I am accountable to God. At some point in time, I'll have to stand before our holy God, the creator of the universe, the perfect father, and give an account for the manner in which I have discharged my responsibilities, my role as a husband, as a father, as a parent, as a grandfather, as a man, as a leader. And although there are people in our world who may mock that idea that we will one day stand before a God who will judge us, that's what the scripture tells us. And we need to be aware of that. There's no escaping from that. As I was preparing, I scrolled my way through the list of Australians of the year. And for the sake of our quiz, just picked six at random that I thought, you know, you might know three or four or five of them. I must admit I had to check up on, uh, on the head charang from um, the Taronga Zoo. Um, I've got to confess there's a degree of cynicism, actually, when I, when I look at um, this list. It actually was started in 1957, so there's been a few... 
Uh, typically, they're people with a very high profile, people who have a, a very public persona, people who are well known predominantly through political leadership or through the media. Ideally, according to the parameters of the the award, they should be people who are involved in charity or in some sort of work in the community. And, and look, to be honest, there are times where I look at some of those folks and I wonder whether, you know, they're so busy doing other stuff, whether their children would actually um, have had much time allocated in their busy schedules. Maybe that's unfair. Maybe John Howard or Angus Houston or Steve Waugh found lots of time to spend with their children. I hope that they did. But that's one of the challenges, isn't it? To invest well into the lives of children. Let's um, play another game for a moment. Let's, for a moment, imagine the kind of person that we should think would be worthy of nomination of Father of the Year. But let's not restrict this just to fathers. Let's, let's talk about Man of the Year. And for the time this day, folks, I'm going to speak fairly directly to men, not to exclude women. There's some things here for the ladies as well. But uh, this passage today is kind of directed uh, by my initiative in some senses because the passage from uh, Psalm 15 is not specifically directing to one or the other in terms of male or female. But for guys, what, what would God look at and say is worthy? What would God look at and say, I commend you for your role? What qualities would that person need to have? And to answer that question, we're going to turn our attention to Psalm chapter 15. And I'll just work through uh, this passage verse by verse, just picking out some of the qualities that God identifies. And the first uh, is found there in Psalm 15, not a quality, but a question. And the question that is asked by the psalmist is this, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? In other words, who is acceptable? Who is able to come before God and into God's presence? And then Psalm 15 verse 2 nominates three things, blamelessness, righteousness and truthfulness. Now, the first quality that's identified here is blamelessness. We have to explain this word. Blameless doesn't mean faultless. Blameless is not about shifting responsibility. So you can say, well, it wasn't my fault. I'm not to blame, so to speak. Being blameless and faultless are two very different things. And generally speaking, a person who thinks that they're faultless is never blameless. In this context, blameless is speaking about integrity. And integrity is the first thing that the psalmist speaks about, a characteristic that a godly man ought to have. I've spoken very recently about integrity. Integrity is a word with a broad meaning, but it means being consistent in moral conduct. You know, some years ago I had the opportunity uh, to, well, not the opportunity, I had the need actually to recast some concrete lids for our septic tank. There were four big uh, cast blocks that covered the tank. Each block would have been about 1,200 millimetres long by about 600 millimetres wide and around 70 millimetres in depth so that they could straddle the width of the tank. And I went to great trouble to make sure that I cast a concrete block with integrity. 
I was so hoping that I could show you a photo of one of the blocks that I cast because I moulded into it an opening so that I could drop a pump in and I had a handle to lever the pump and I even etched into it a danger sign. Uh, but who takes photos of septic tanks? I couldn't find one. I don't think I've ever taken one. But I wanted those lid sections to be lids of integrity because if you stood on them, the worst thing that could happen would be if they collapsed. Where would you end up? You'd end up in the sewerage. And a man with integrity is one who walks with character, who walks, sorry, a man who walks with integrity is a person whose character is decent, who is moral, who is sincere, who is honest, who is honourable and doesn't compromise, will not break under pressure. And in my experience, uh, when a man fails in the area of integrity, almost inevitably he and others close to him end up in the sewer. A number of scriptures talk about integrity as being a key characteristic of a godly man. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9, for example, we'll just pop that up on the screen too. It says, a man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. And Chronicles uh, 29, verse 17 says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. Integrity actually matters to God. There's that passage from Chronicles that I mentioned there a moment ago. Integrity matters to God. The psalmist also talks about what we might call working righteousness. That's a natural outgrowth of walking in integrity, but it's different, in, uh, different to integrity in so much that our righteousness is measured against the righteousness of God. And when we become Christians, I believe what happens is that God imputes or he places his righteousness on us so that he sees in us his righteousness. We walk in his righteousness and that works itself out in acts of righteousness, doing that which is right in God's eyes. And the psalmist talks about truthfulness there in verse 2. The psalmist has recognised a reality that many of us overlook when he says, the one who dwells in the sanctuary of the Lord speaks truth from his heart. Now that's an important statement because some people can speak truth from their lips but it doesn't necessarily reflect what's actually in their heart. They say one thing but they're thinking another. And the scripture actually tells us uh, that that is, uh, that is not the way God wants us to be. In fact, Psalm 59 says, not a word from their mouth can be trusted. The Bible also makes it really clear that there is a, uh, there's a destruction that people who speak like this reap. It's a destruction that's reaped for them as individuals, for their family and for their community. Proverbs chapter 26 verse 28, for example, says, A lying tongue hates those it hurts and a flattering mouth works ruin. And if you've ever been on the receiving end of a person who has spoken untruths or tried to put on a front to convince themselves and others that they're something that they're not, you'll know how destructive that that can be. So walking with integrity, a working righteousness and speaking the truth from the heart which lay a foundation for a godly life and the foundation for what's said in the rest of the psalm. In verse 3, the psalmist goes on to speak about having nothing to do with slander. 
who may walk before the Lord, who may stand in that holy place, who, those whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbour and casts no slur on others. Slander is not just defaming a person by telling lies. It's also character assassination. It's cheap shots. It's innuendo. It's the tearing down of others in a way that tries to build the self up. The godly father won't do this. The godly father won't do this to his wife. The godly father won't do it to his children. And it's a real tragedy when a man demeans his wife and children in this way. It's sinful. But from a a simple human, selfish point of view, it's also stupid. You see, a man's wife is his partner in life. They're there to build one another up. They chose one another. And to demean the other person, he's actually demeaning himself when that happens. I wonder whether you've ever reflected on the, and I use that word again, the stupidity that's demonstrated when when a man in a fit of anger or even a wife in a fit of anger says, I never loved you. You thought how ridiculous that statement is? If you never loved the person, why are you even in a relationship with the person? It's actually self-condemnation to make a statement like that. But it's poison in relationships and God calls us away from that. And in the same way, uh, our children are made in our image. In a sense, they are a reflection of us. And so if we demean them, we actually put ourselves down. If a father's children lack something in way, it's actually the father who bears the responsibility of helping them learn and grow and overcome it. In verse 4, the psalmist says, The one who may stand in the sanctuary, who may live on the holy hill, is the one who despises a vile man, but honours those who fear the Lord, who keeps his oath even when it hurts keeps his promises. Keeping promises is a hallmark of integrity, a work of righteousness and an absolute necessity when someone speaks the truth from the heart. It's not a reference to being stubbornly locked into one foolish promise or a viewpoint or a vow. Those things need to be confessed and dealt with but it's actually about sticking to what you say and being true to who you are. A man of integrity remains true to his promise even when things turn sour, even when he knows he's going to lose on the agreement. A godly man values his word and honour more than personal financial gain or difficulty. And on that verse, uh, on that uh, theme rather, verse 5 talks about integrity with money. Here's one of those areas that's hard to talk about in church, isn't it? And some people have the view that the church is always talking about money and pastors try and shy away from it as best we can. But here the passage tells us that a godly man is not enticed by money, he's not in love by money, he's not enamoured by money. A man whose heart is in the world, who has a heart of flesh, will love his money. He will give up his integrity for the sake of financial gain. And we're told in the scripture that bribes... Uh, corrupt the heart, pervert justice and eventually bring on the wrath of God. The godly man refuses all bribes. Now there's quite a truckload of other things that we could talk about from the scripture that that shape the way a man ought to live and uh, behave, what sort of character we ought to have. But let's come back to where we started today and conclude with just a couple of important thoughts.
The first is to highlight the importance of knowing the difference between wasting and investing in our ultimate purpose in life. One of the things that I realised a long time ago is this, our children will not be impressed by the size of our homes, the cars that we drive, the health of our bank accounts, the work that we do or the reputation that we have. What they will remember is the time that we invested into them the attention that we were able to provide for them, the security that we offered for them and the safety that is so important to them in growing up. And so much of what we do in terms of our uh, time, our efforts, our money uh, has so little eternal value. And so men, I say to you, we need to put more effort into investing into what really matters, investing into the lives of those around about us, especially our children. And a second word today for those for whom Father's Day is difficult, whether it's because you've lost your fathers or because they are a long way from the kind of father that God wanted them to be. And because we've been spending some time here in the Psalms, let me take you to Psalm 56. It's a Psalm that we'll use in a few moments as we come to communion as well. It's a request to God and a recognition of God in the midst of pain. The psalmist says, Record my lament. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? The original language actually could be better understood as saying, Record my lament. Put my tears in your wineskin. Are they not on your record? In other words, there's this wonderful acknowledgement here in Psalm 56 that our God is an empathetic God, a God who hears the cries of our hearts, the dereliction that we feel sometimes in those places of life. God sees that and God hears that and God longs to heal that. God has seen every tear that you have shed ever in whatever context it might have been. God records those. God is compassionate to those who shed them. And the psalmist then goes on to say, Then my enemies will turn back when I call to help. By this I will know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I prayed in, God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? God, in whose word I praise, whose word I pray, In him I will trust. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you that as we come to you, we come to a God who is worthy of our praise and who has demonstrated to us time and time again through history the capacity to redeem even the most awful of circumstances. Gracious God, today we come together again and say thank you for Father's Day. We thank you for the opportunity to remember Uh, those men in our lives who have been significant, who have walked humbly before you, who have made choices that sometimes may have been to their detriment, that they might provide for their families, that they might uh, be uh, honourable before you and before others, who have chosen sometimes the hard road, who have decided in their hearts to follow you. Lord God, we thank you for those. 
We recognise too, Lord, that we, uh, we speak into a context today of community where there has been much pain and hurt and damage for the evil one has come in and sought to wrench families apart and attacked the very core of the family, the father. And uh, in so many places, Lord, there has been pain, there has been dysfunction, there has been angst, there has been anger. Lord God, we pray that you would bring healing into those spaces Jesus Christ, the Redeemer and Restorer, we invite you today to redeem that which has been broken, to restore that which has been damaged, to bring new life where there perhaps has been pain and hurt. And Lord, today, together as men and women, we affirm our desire to look to you as the model as the one who leads us in faith, as the one to whom we should aspire that we might walk like you in love and grace and mercy and obedience each and every day. Lord, we offer this prayer to you in Jesus' name. Amen.